Well, we are in Exodus 13. And you got to understand how I prepare to study. I actually do it many weeks in advance. And uh, I prepare my notes to teach at the Bible college. So they're really in detail. So I try to figure out what do I share, what don't I share on, on these Wednesday nights? How fast do I go? And, uh, but as I've wrestled through this one, I, I just came up with the first two verses here tonight, which is unusual for us uh, on Wednesday nights. We usually do three verses. No, we usually <laughs> try to do a whole chapter, but it's uh, not happened in the last few weeks. But as we come to Exodus 13, verse 1 and 2, these are now the first steps after being set free. And we're going to discover that first step tonight is putting God first. And um, it's interesting, you know, he just didn't get them out of Egypt like a jailbreak. And then it's like, okay, scatter, (laughs) go do whatever you want to do, you know, go try to stay out of bondage and, and flee for your life and everybody just goes every which way. And, and No, no, the, it, it was never a jest about getting out of bondage, was it? It was all about a clear light at the end of the tunnel, which was getting to the promised land and being the people of God. And they really had no concept of this. They really had no concept of God had very little knowledge. They understood more about worshiping a golden calf than they knew about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God is going to show them and demonstrate to them as he's been doing, conquering each of the Egyptian gods with the various plagues and bringing judgment on all of this idolatry and God redeeming his people, his firstborn, that is the nation of Israel, So after 430 years, we learned in chapter 12, they're now being delivered. And of course, all of this is an example, a picture of the salvation that would be brought to the whole world, being brought out of the clutches of not Pharaoh, but Satan and our own sinful condition uh, by the Messiah. So Jesus, our Messiah, the Lamb of God, would take away the sin of the world. And we end at chapter 12, uh, verse 51, by saying, and it came to pass on that very same day. Remember, evening and morning. So the evening uh, began uh, the 15th day. And um, they went out after the Passover, after the blood on the door. They went out that same day they were free. The same day the lamb was slain and eaten. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Once they consumed it, all, nothing left behind. That same day the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, according to their armies. We looked at that word, it's translated, it's a very general word, meaning companies, or just orderly. We're going to discover God keeps doing that, that that God is a God of order. He's a God of his spirit moving, you know, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and and God's a a God who's mighty uh, in his workings, but he's also very orderly. Uh, in his workings. And this is what, what we see in all of creation. So now that they're out of bondage, what are the first steps as living as a free man? 
And so in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Consecrate to me, it is mine. Set apart to be holy, to be sacred, to be God alone. In the New Testament, we would say sanctify. That's the word. Same word, consecration, but sanctify. Um, to set apart unto God. And of course, we need to sanctify ourselves. But at this point, it's a picture. And, and we understand to set apart the firstborn of men and beast. You say, well, why the firstborn or the first to God? I think number one, I think there's three reasons. Get this out of Guzik's commentary. He says, first, because Israel was God's firstborn. We learn about that in Exodus 4.22 and other places. Remember that where God said, Israel's my firstborn. If you don't let them go, then eventually I'm going to take your firstborn. And after that happens, you will let my people go. Well, this was a practice to honor that fact. So that God is delivering his firstborn. So now God wants us to deliver our firstborn back unto him. Secondly, because the firstborn was thought to be the best. The best was always given to God. Now, remember in Genesis, you guys probably remember this, when Jacob's praying and Joseph brings his sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and while everybody's eyes were closed, Jacob switched hands. <laughs> and his left hand went on the younger, or on the older son, Manasseh, and his right hand went on the younger son, Ephraim. And, and Joseph catches that, opens eyes, go, no, no, not so, Father, and tries to uncross. And his dad said, no. And then we see later through the Old Testament that Ephraim is my firstborn. He really wasn't. He was the secondborn. But the fir word firstborn means the greatest. And that word's taken right into the New Testament, where Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Was Jesus the first one ever to be raised from the dead? No. But was he the greatest? to ever be raised from the dead, yes. And then uh, we, we read also in Exodus 23, 19 on this point, the first of the fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. In Leviticus 27, 30, and all the tithe of the land, which is of the seed of the land and of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. And then the third reason is to remind all generations how God redeemed his firstborn out of Egypt, Israel. Remember the sons would say, Dad, why are we doing this? Then you're going to say, because we are God's firstborn. And God delivered the firstborn, us, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt's hand. And now to remember that, to memorialize that, we give back our firstborn to remember that. So it is mine, he says. The first, the best, the top. I mean, the idea of, of being the firstborn is to get the best of the best to the Lord. Now, this is going to grow an explanation, isn't it? 
Eventually, we're going to talk about tithes and offerings and breaking it down differently. And it's not just the first of the man and of the beast. It's the first of all the fruits, of all the vegetables, the first of everything, right? But right now, these are baby steps. And, and he's giving them a little bit of information on this point, And that's all. But then as we get on in to, to Exodus, he'll expand more. And then, of course, uh, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, uh, he'll explain more and more and keep, keep adding meat to the bones, little by little. Um, we'll go over this next week. But remember, last week, God said, get all the leaven out of your house, right? Did they? No, they kept the leaven in the dough. It didn't have time to rise, so they didn't eat any unleavened bread. So that was the main thing. Well, in this chapter, he's going to repeat that, and this time he's going to go emphatic. (laughs) You cannot have it anywhere where you can see it or touch it or feel it or smell it. Or I mean, he's just going to go get it. It should have never been in your house to begin with. Um, and, And of course, we know why that is right? Because love and represents sin. And so God desires the first, the best, the top, and that's what we want to give him. That's really what's being said here. So I am a horrible sinner and I'm doomed to hell. That's the revelation that comes. There's no hope for me. I'm going to have to stand before a just God and the wages of sin is death. And there is no hope for me. Even if I lived 300 years and had one sin only to my life, my entire life I lived perfectly, but one sin, that's all it would take. And I would be separated from God forever. Well, I've only lived a short life and I've got multitudes of sins, more than I can count. So how can I go to heaven? There is no way I can go to heaven. And then we hear the gospel. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so now we're bursting. I'm forgiven. My name's in heaven. It's written by God. I'm sealed by the Spirit. Nothing, height, nor width, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, anything present, things to come can separate me from the love of God. My salvation is kept by the power of God right to the very end. He who began that good work is going to complete it. And until then, he will never leave me or forsake me. Even if I'm the prodigal, my dad's going to be waiting for me to come back. And so we, we, we realize at that moment that, wow, God has done everything for me. He has not withheld his what? Only begotten son. What is this going on here? God gave us beyond his firstborn, if you would. His son was the most unique son that could ever exist. And he gave his son to come into human flesh. Do you realize how far that is from God's throne to sinful flesh on earth? I mean, if, if you look in your trash can and you all oh, this horrible smell and you look at these maggots and you're going, oh, they're lost. And you leave your body of a human and become a maggot. 
so you can help save these maggots. That would be a much shorter fall, right? From our human condition to being a a maggot to save the maggots. God's distance from the throne of God to this earth was light years farther. So Jesus coming into human flesh, God giving his firstborn, we need to now respond in saying we would be in Egypt, we'd be stuck in Egypt if God didn't deliver us out of the hand of Egypt, his firstborn. And ultimately the revelation is God gave his firstborn. That's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. The whole book, the people are just tired of of having to serve the Lord. They're tired of the festivals. They're tired of having to go to Jerusalem. They're tired of having to go get lambs and kill them and have a Passover meal and get the family together. It, It was just drudgery for them. And they were even complaining about the walk to Jerusalem and 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 the priests are all equally as bad the guy's like oh, I just grabbed any old sheep I could and it's blind and deaf and and the priest's like I don't care we're gonna kill it let's just you know there was not even an attempt and that's where the end of the Old Testament God's saying I'm sorry I'm sorry that I asked you to worship me. I'm sorry that I gave you feasts. I'm sorry that you have to get together with your family. I'm sorry that you have to give any tithes or any offerings or make any sacrifices for me. You're done, because I don't receive it even if you do it. We're done. And then there's 400 years of silence. And the next word is from John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are unwilling to give your, one of your lambs out of a multitude of lambs. But God, even though your, your attitude towards him is about as bad as it can get, he still gave his only unique begotten son to us, even while we were weak, even while we were sinful, Christ still died for the ungodly. So this is where the picture's going. And of course, in the New Testament, this revelation should be fuller more than any time in all of history that I give myself to God completely to be the best sacrifice lived for him, right? Isn't that what it says in Romans 12, right? To give yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It's really the heart. So there's people, again, who, who, who will give some money. They're not going to give a full tithe. They're going to sort of tip God. There's people that are going, oh, here's that stinking money. You know, God, ugh, hate that. I could have a brand new car if I didn't have to make my tithe. God's just like, don't, don't give it. I don't, it won't go to your account. I don't, I don't receive it. We've got to understand that God is not demanding this as his salary. He's not demanding this because they owe him. This is an act of worship for their hearts. So number one, we've got to realize that God is not asking for the firstborn of men and beasts 
because he's in need. I love that saying, giving is not a way for God to raise money, but it's a way for God to raise children. And we grow up when we give to God and give to him first. And why do we give to God first? Why are we giving this firstborn lamb, cattle, whatever it is? Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Haggai 2, 8, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. In Psalm 50, verse 10 through 12, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and of the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. God is not in need. Paul nailed it in Philippians 4, 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Solomon in all his wisdom knew. He understood. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 10, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Here, verse 7 now. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord from your possessions with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 says, There is one who scatters and increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right and leads to poverty. The generous soul shall be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Well, God makes it really personal. As I mentioned that book of Malachi, listen to what he says about this. I mean, it's not that he wasn't offended, like, oh, no big deal, don't worship anymore. He was incredibly offended. He says in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse, and there will be food in my house. And try me now in this. Test me. You know, the Bible repeatedly says it's a sin to test God, but here he's now saying, here's an exception to that rule. Test me. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will be called you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Interesting little story of a small church out in the country, and the treasurer resigned, and they needed a new treasurer, and the guy that was best with the money also owned the granary in town, and uh, most of the people in the church were farmers, and some, one way or another, they brought their grain to him, and, and he took it from there and got it over to market, and he said, okay, I reluctantly will be the treasurer, but there's two rules. Number one, you cannot ask me about the finances 
for one year. At the end of the year, I'll give you a report. And you cannot ask me any details of how the church is doing until that time. Well, the people agreed, and nobody asked him any questions until the very end of the year, and then he gave his report. The church building debt was gone. $228,000 was paid off. The pastor's salary increased by 8%. The outreach and missions went up 200%. And there were no outstanding bills. And for the first time in a very long time, they had $11,252 in the bank. Immediately, of course, the congregation is shocked and said, how did you do this? Where did you get the money to, to do all of these things? And of course, um, he answered and said, well, as you know, you guys all bring your stuff to me. And so after you had brought the stuff to the granary, I paid you what you deserve, but I held back 10%, and I gave it to the church in your name. And did any of you even notice that 10% was missing? No, you didn't. And then his point was made. How much can it be accomplished when it's put into God's hands? Sort of like the little boy with the fish and the loaves, right? Enough to feed every, everyone. Jesus said it back in Acts 20, verse 35. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The only words of Jesus that are not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but Paul gives them to us and says that Jesus very much did teach that. That was one of his sayings. It's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus also revealed to us in Matthew chapter 6 a whole bunch of information on this point. He says in verse 19 to 34, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great will that darkness be? Now, some people think that Jesus is getting off topic here. That he went from talking about money to lusting or something. But we're going to see it as we go into Deuteronomy and, and many other places in the Old Testament. The eye in the Jewish mind was giving. If you gave rightly, you had a good eye. If you gave poorly, you had a bad eye or evil eye or a dark eye, different translations. You know, I, I know when I go to other countries and stuff and people are learning English, you're like, now how can you drive somebody crazy? Did, did anybody get driven crazy before there were cars? Did they gallop their horse to craziness? Why do you say drive somebody crazy? I'm just like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But that is what we say. You're right. Well, in the same way, why is the eye giving? I have no idea. Jews don't even know why. But a good eye is a good giver, a bad eye or a dark eye, or an evil eye is a bad giver. So he really is saying, 
what's going on in a man's soul can all be seen in his giving heart or taking heart or greedy heart or not a greedy heart. And so if he says, my whole body is full of light, but he's not a good giver, then that's not true because really it's a sign, the litmus test, it's the thermostat or the, the you know, the, the, the barometer by which you can really tell what's happening inside. And so if a man's giving financially, then he also is going to discover that his other obediences are in his life as well. And then Jesus says this in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or the God of money. The mammon was the God of, of money. So Jesus said it all comes down to this and you can tell immediately when a pastor talks about giving, those who are not giving as they should, they hate these kind of sermons. This is why I hate church. They're not going to get any more money than I'm already given. You know, every pastor, he's not a very good preacher until he starts talking about money and then he's eloquent. You know, he's got all, you know. Or the opposite happens. Man, preacher Brian, because when I learned to give, I, that is when I really began to have the joy of the Lord. And it is true. And, and so, is God wanting your money an evil thing? You know, slapping God's hand away, you're not going to get that. That's mine. Or is it, God, take it all. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> uh, whatever you want. When you think about it, 10% is a pretty measly amount compared to what God could have asked. But it's all a part of the test to reveal our hearts. He goes on in verse 25 to talk about this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink or your body nor what you will put on. It is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you, are you not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory has not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That is all the earth things, what you're going to eat, drink, and wear. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own troubles. There's enough troubles today. Don't reach into the future and grab future problems and add to your, you'll sink the ship. But it just comes back to that. There's another story that's sort of very apropos for this. And it's a hiker going through the desert, realizing he didn't have enough water. And he comes upon this shack. And sure enough, it has one of those old-timey pumps, and he starts pumping it and pumping it, and nothing. 
And he thought, man, I'm going to die out in this desert. And he looked over and sitting against this old rickety house, it's falling apart, was a bottle of water with a note on it. And it said, yes, this water is good to drink. You can drink it and be refreshed. Or you can take this bottle of water and dump the whole thing on the pump and use it to prime the pump and you can get all the water you want. The final note was, it really does work. So what do you do? Well, he dumped it onto the pump and began to pump it. And just like it said, it primed the pump. And then all the water he wanted was to come out. It's sort of in the same way. Give and it shall be given back unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, I'm not going to say that foolishly, like the health and wealth gospel people say, you know, this is the way God owes you and you'll get rich. And, uh, and all of the silliness they say. Proverbs makes it clear, God makes the poor and God makes the rich. James says, man, hope that you're poor because they're rich in faith. That's a much better way to be rich on this earth is rich in faith. And, uh, and those who are rich, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, they're given a great burden because it's hard to have a full wallet and a full heart. Solomon also said that. He said, don't let me be so rich that I feel no need for you anymore. He knew that. It's, it's, it's just the reality of it. And so, um, again, to get a rich man into heaven, Jesus says, getting, like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. Um, it's a very difficult thing to, to accomplish. Well, as we look at this in concluding here, have we done what Israel under the Old Testament law was asked to do? That is to consecrate to me, God says, all. Especially for us, that which is the most precious to us. Secondly, do we understand that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God? And it, all of this is just on loan, Right? God says it's mine. The earth is the Lord's. He never gives it up, not one piece of gold or silver. All we are is borrowing it for a very short time. Naked we came this world, naked we go out, right? First Timothy 6, verse 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment, that's great gain. That's wealth. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we shall carry nothing out. <laughs> Having food and clothing, with these we should be content. You got clothes? Nobody naked here tonight. And uh, I don't hear anybody stomach growling, even though you might be hungry. I think you'll get some food. And then the third thing is God getting from me and my house the first, the best, the top to the Lord, for the Lord. So as for me and my house, are we serving the Lord?